Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, we have a great show lined up for the day. As usual, you know, we're going to start off talking about the weaker dollar, right? Yeah, this may be the first time we've talked about this in the seven years we've been doing the radio show. Yeah. Because <laughs> it hasn't well, been weak. The dollar hadn't been weak. It's been getting stronger for years and years. And now here in the past year or two, I guess, mm-hmm. it's about the past year, it's really it's really started weakening. And that has some effects on the economy. And, it does. And, and your investments as well. Right? So we're going to bring that down and kind of dive into that topic a little bit. Yeah, that's a good topic, you know, and then we're going to talk about something a little bit different that we don't normally talk about, and that is car repairs. Um, You know, you might be overpaying for your car repairs, so we're going to talk about some ways to kind of get an idea of whether you're overpaying or not and some ways to save money in some areas you might not want to save money mm-hmm. when it comes to car repairs. So uh, that's a very interesting topic, so we'll talk about that as well. But by the way, I am Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 22 years of experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. Yeah, we're excited to have you listening to just today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, our website is moneymd.net. You can uh, take a look at that. A lot of information out there. The podcasts are stored out there as well as the link. We have videos. We have some calculators. Um, you know, a lot of resources out there we try to try to uh, make available. And um, we also have a Facebook page. We put a prescription of the week out there every single week. So go check it out. we got a lot of information. We're trying to help folks out with uh, making good decisions with their money. Absolutely. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us straight off our website, moneymd.net. Um, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this, Steve, this is interesting. Um, 63% of smartphone users have a financial app on their phones. And so, you know, I've talked to, um, I actually have one um, on my phone. And started using it. You can scan checks in, um, automatically deposit them. You can push money around pretty easily. I know I've talked to my daughter, Danielle, and there, um, there are a lot of different types of apps that you can save money. Yeah. So there was one that if she spent $3 and, you know, 35 cents at a store, then the other 65 would automatically push it into an account and it would build up. So there's a lot of savings apps and, and, and financial apps, tracking apps. Dave Ramsey has a good one, yep. uh, um, the Every Dollar. So uh, if you don't have a financial app, check it out. There's some good tools out there. Yeah, there are some great tools for your phone in terms of financial apps. Um, you know, the problem is, John, while 63% of smartphone users have financial apps on their phones, 100% of smartphone users have shopping apps on their phone. <laughs> that's a problem. That is not a good ratio. That's not a good ratio. Right. So I mean, get you're rid of shopping sh- more than you're saving. I mean, that's exactly. not exactly. So get, get rid of the shopping apps. Yeah. Keep, keep. Start using the financial that's apps. That's right. That's the moral of the story. That's, here. that's a good one. I like that. Okay, that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is how the weaker dollar is impacting you. Yeah, this um, comes from Taylor Tepper, uh, part of Smart Money. And, um, you know, the U.S. economy, Steve, you know, was firing on all cylinders last year. And it looks like 2018 is going pretty well so far. Markets have been up and down and sideways for the first two months. 
Um, but everything is on, you know, firing on all cylinders except for the dollar. And, you know, while the stock market indices hit new highs, um, the job market's strong. Uh, you know, economic growth solidifies. The, the dollar has weakened considerably against major currencies. And in 2017, the dollar lost 12% against the euro and 9% against the British pound. And we've seen that slide continue in uh, 2018 as well. So um, that's a, quite, a, quite a change from the years before that. Yeah, it is pretty amazing to see the dollar weakening um, even while the, the Fed is raising interest rates. Yeah, and a comment here recently at the Global Economic Forum, um, the Treasury Secretary, Steve uh, Mnuchin, uh, said that the weaker dollar was good for the U.S. when it comes to trade opportunities and trade in general, um, which kind of prompted the, the the dollar to even go lower. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of remarkable that he would make that kind of comment, almost encouraging a weak dollar, because usually our policy has been we want a strong dollar. That's right. And the weakening dollar is all more notable given that the Federal Reserve it hiked interest rates three times last year, and it appears it's going to tighten even further in 2018. And President Trump um, signed the largest tax overhaul in, in a generation, which you know projections are is going to cost um, 1.5 trillion over the next decade. So you know the question is is why is the greenback so much weaker? And there's a lot of theories out there. Well, the Fed um, rate hikes they increase borrowing cost, right? Which should increase the demand for dollars as as well as yields on the savings accounts. Investors are are see lingering low inflation as a potentially um, you know limiting the number of rate hikes later this year, therefore capping the demand for dollars. So I think you know the low inflation right now, which is opposite to what you hear in the in the marketplace, is um, kind of keeping a cap on the growth of it. I guess so because it is strange that while the Fed's raising interest rates. Um, and, and things like, uh, the interest rate, the hikes that are increasing borrowing costs, all of that should speak to a stronger dollar, but we're seeing a weaker dollar. So it's unusual. Yeah. Market observers, uh, also may be fearful the Fed's plan to unwind their balance sheet. Um, they're going to get rid of about three quarters of the four and a half trillion dollars on the Fed's balance sheet. And, uh, you know, also there's the federal deficit that, that could be worsened by the by the tax bill that was mm-hmm. just passed. So they're kind of pointing to all these things, thinking that these are reasoning reasons why the dollar is weakening. Yeah, and it's also worth remembering that currencies, they, they fluctuate um, against each other, which is really driven by what's happening overseas. So when you look in, in Europe, um, they are enjoying strong growth. I mean, they had, they had years of slow growth and a lot of frustration and and perhaps investors see the U.S. in the late stages of a recovery and they want to take their money and invest in Europe. So that may be a a reason as well. And in the short run, a weak dollar can can signal all sorts of things like expected weakness in the economy. Um, You know, but if you look at longer trends, it's based mainly on monetary policies in the countries that you're comparing. So when you're looking at, um, you know, the the yen and what's going on in Japan and so forth, you have to understand both countries. And, you know, it's a little hard to know for sure, but, um, you know, the the rise in oil prices could also have an effect on the trade balance, particularly in China. So a lot of different reasons out there. The question is, is what does this mean for us, right? That, that's what people really care about. That's they right. They don't really care about all the, the minutiae here. Well, there, there's some people that are listening that are detailed. Yeah, but most people, be, but... most people, this is the, the, the piece. And, and, you know, there are winners and losers in, in any economic outcome, and, and consumers generally end up on the shorter end of the stick 
in a lot of cases. But the advantage of a weaker dollar, as Secretary Mnuchin alluded to, is that the U.S. exports suddenly become cheaper, making the companies who sell a lot of stuff overseas much more competitive in the global marketplace. This was one of the reasons why you saw so many countries devaluing their currency after the Great Recession. So it helps to stimulate the manufacturing in the company or people producing goods, you know, primarily goods that you're going to ship overseas. So a weaker dollar helps our economy. It's kind of the bottom line. It does. And that's why we've been complaining about China weakening, artificially weakening their dollar against ours for years and years because they've been doing it so they could export their their stuff to us, their goods, Mm -hmm. and makes their stuff cheaper over here. So everybody's buying, you know, Chinese products because their, their dollar is so weak. And then when they convert it to American dollars, it, it makes their goods and services appear very, very cheap. Now, it does help returns of international companies, right? So if you it have does. an international <clears throat> stocks and mutual funds and so forth, when you bring those those back to U.S. dollars, then, then it actually benefits you. Yeah, if, if the dollar is getting weaker, it helps our international investments because as the dollar gets weaker— it makes the return on those international investments higher. Mm-hmm. So we bring it back. It, it so it's good. It's good for that. It's also good for our economy because we're able to ship our goods and services over overseas. Um, makes our our goods more competitive, right? Internationally, so it has some real positives to it when the dollar is weakening. Um, but as you pointed out, it it also makes travel more expensive. You know, if you're going to Europe, mm-hmm. your dollar, right. your the money in your back pocket is not worth as much not going as far over there but that's kind of a smaller effect i think um so while you know those companies and shareholders out there and employees do benefit from these the weaker dollar uh most of americans may not i mean for instance imports which are a really big part of our our consumer spending is for imported goods and services, those become more expensive. So mm-hmm. that pushes up the cost for the things we buy every day from China and Europe and other countries. Um, you know, companies also that require imports have to pay a lot more for things because a lot of our parts and, you know, components to our goods and services are made overseas. When we import those, they're more expensive. And so that makes our goods and services more expensive here at home. So there's kind of, you know, some back and forth, right. but it's, it's I don't know. We don't control it. We don't control right. it. But it's interesting, though, because um, the, the Trump folks uh, have always said they want more manufacturing done in the U.S. One way to help that is to, is to make the dollar weaker. I think it is better for the economy. <clears throat> I mean, China would not have been trying to weaken their dollar against ours for all these years right. if it were not good for the economy. So while there are some parts of it that are negative, I think overall, if you look at the big picture, it's probably a positive. And one way to hedge some of this is to have international. We've talked about being diversified. And if you have international investments, a weaker dollar helps those returns coming back over to the U.S. So that's something you need to worry about. We don't try to predict it um, or time it. It's a balance um, through the world economy. But um, it is interesting how it's um, different than it has been for a long time. Yeah, the, the the tide has kind of shifted. It has with the U.S. dollar. So very interesting topic. All right, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question came from my daughter. Actually, she has now has access to an HSA at work, and she's like, "Should I put money in there?" And I'm like, "Well, heck yeah, she good, should." Good question. Good and, for her. And oh, by the way, the company matches. Uh, we'll put in Sweet. a certain amount of money in there. So free Sweet. money. 
In HSA, you get a tax break on the front end, and if you if you can invest it in mutual funds and leave it alone, it can grow and be tax free on the the other end when you start using it for medical. Yeah, cost. it's like having the benefits of an IRA where you get a tax deduction on the front end. Um, it's actually an adjustment to gross, but it's it comes right off your income on mm-hmm. the front end. But then it's it has the benefit of a Roth where it's also tax free when you take it out as long as it's used for medical. And you can delay those. You can delay taking it out and save up your medical bills for years and years and years and take it out 20 years later down the road Mm -hmm. and have it count as being tax-free because it was for a past medical expenses, you know, 20 years earlier. Now, you have to have a high-deductible plan. That's the key. But um, HSAs are great. We love talking to people about those and using it kind of as a part of the strategy of saving. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a great tool in your toolkit um, for, for saving in taxes and uh, being able to use that for medical expenses down the road. We highly encourage you, if you have that available option, to, to open an HSA account and make your full contribution, which is like 6800 I think year. it's 6900 for 2018, yeah. For a family. Ramped up yeah. a little bit. Yeah, so great topic. Okay, and that leads up to our next topic here, and that is car repairs, how to save um, yeah, when it comes to repair costs, you know, I mean, many car owners, John, I mean, they're, they're driving blind. Um, you know, cars have become increasingly complex, making it increasingly hard to know how much repair costs should be. You know, you don't know what you should have to pay whenever mm-hmm. you go to get your car tuned up because you don't even know what they're doing anymore. You know, it's not. Sometimes they don't either. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's so complicated, it's the not, technology. It's not like they're turning a wrench. Sometimes they're plugging it up to a computer, mm-hmm. you know, and Absolutely. making computer adjustments. And so you just don't quite know, um, or they don't know how what the alternatives are for saving money. So to make car, re- car repair cost decisions, you have to know what to look for. Um, so what do you look for? Well, I mean, one of the topics here they're, they're mentioned in this article, by the way, this is an article out of the bottom line, Um from Repair Pal, uh, Jim Trolla. And, you know, one of the things they mention here is some of the aftermarket replacement parts are as good as the original parts. Um, but you have to know which ones to accept because sometimes you're going to get these aftermarket parts that aren't nearly as good as the original parts, and you have to know the difference. So a garage might make its repair prices lower by always using aftermarket, you know, cheaper re- replacement parts parts that are not made by the same companies that made the original parts that were installed in your car. And they might tell you that the costlier um, original parts aren't worth the extra money. But meanwhile, you know, a new car dealership might always recommend the original parts um, despite their higher cost and tell you that the aftermarket parts are inferior. So which one is true? You know, which one do you believe is it worth paying for the extra the extra cost of getting the original parts. The truth lies somewhere in between, they say. You know, it's it's fine to save money by buying certain aftermarket parts and from certain part makers, but there are other times when it's better to pay up for the original part. So Yeah, so you've got to ask the question, what company makes the aftermarket part? I mean, if it's someone like an AC Delco or a Bosch, um, you know, then the part likely is every bit as reliable as the OEM part. These companies, they're highly respected in the industry. The automakers themselves often buy parts um, from them as well. So if the aftermarket part is made by a different company, ask someone at your repair shop or maybe the dealer, you know, parts department, if they would trust it. 
for their own car. I mean, you probably, you know, get a straight answer because the shop could, could easily, easily sell you the OEM part instead. So there is one exception they noted here. If you need a, um, to replace a component that maybe performs a significant amount of computer processing, you may want to pay extra for the OEM part if it's available. Um, you know, if you opt for an aftermarket computer component, um, you know, that may be false savings. It might cause you more problems, which could make it more expensive down the line. So you just got to ask some questions and, and go to, uh, you know, a shop and mechanic that you trust to give you the right answers. And you can also look it up on the internet. You know, there's all kind of tools out there for researching, you know, your, your problem in your car and, and checking out the parts. So you got to ask some questions ahead of time. That's really key for that one. Um, you know, one example they give here where it is worth paying for an upgraded part. And that is when it comes to brake brake jobs or replacing your brake pads, um, it's truly worth the price, they say. You know, when you take your car in for a brake job, you might be offered, you know, several brake pad options, including the organic pads um, for as little as $10 a set. You know, I've done that before, replaced my own pads on my car. I've, I don't know if you ever replaced brake pads. I have not. But I do. And, um, you know, if you go to AutoZone or one of those places, they're going to have three or four different options. Well, I always buy the most expensive option. Yeah, you want to have good brakes. <laughs> well, and the key is, you know, it, it's a lot of labor to change out brakes, but the pads aren't that that much of a of a component mm-hmm. to the cost mm-hmm. of the of the job, and you can get pads that last twice as long and stop your car faster, you know, if you get the more expensive ceramic pads, for example. Um so what do you do? You ante up for the ceramic pads, they say. You know, they're likely to stop your car faster than the other pads, and they'll keep you safer, but they also will last a lot longer than the organic pads, and, you know, they don't cause as much wear um, to your brake rotors as well, um, so long as they don't, uh, you know, they don't add much to the uh, to the owner shipping cost as the upfront cost suggests. So mm-hmm. basically what they're saying is, you know, you want to pay for for upper end brake pads. Um, another item they point out here is that, you know, female drivers are more likely to be overcharged. That's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. They say it's not news that female car owners sometimes get charged more than men for repairs. Studies show that around 8% more on average. And those overcharges are more common in big cities. You know, it turns out that they're much less likely in smaller rulers, rural regions They say apparently because repair shops and service departments Hmm. in smaller communities, they can't risk the the ruining their reputation with the locals. Um, If word gets out they're overcharging, you know everyone would soon know it. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You know if you're you know woman or man, anyone, it's wise to go online um, and you know get a run an auto repair price estimator, such as get an estimate tool. Um, at your employer's uh, site, it's called uh, RepairPal.com. Um, I guess it's his, his employer, yeah, the author yeah, of this yeah. article, to judge whether or not the price is fair. So RepairPal.com, I haven't checked that one out, but that sounds like a good good uh, option. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, this is especially true for women who live in large cities or other densely populated areas. You want to check it out. Make sure you're getting a reasonable price for the repair job. Yeah, another thing you need to look out for is schedule maintenance. Um, you know, the cost may be inflated by some fluid flushes that you probably don't need. I mean, if a shop recommends replacing your car's coolant, brake fluid, power steering fluid, 
um, you know, in a schedule maintenance, you might want to just ask, um, you know, these fluid changes once were routine, but they need it. They're needed much less, um, frequently with the modern cars. So, so what, what do you do in this situation? You certainly want to check the schedule maintenance section of your owner's manual. Um, <clears throat> you want to make sure that the uh, fluid replacement is recommended at your current mileage. And if it isn't, ask the shop to justify, justify the fluid change. There might be a valid reason, right? Um, they, there may be something else they're seeing, but perhaps the mechanic did a test that revealed the, the presence of, you know, something that wasn't supposed to be there that you didn't know about. So, you know, it's just kind of questioning. And I like the uh, repair pal, um, estimate that would give you some good, good guidance, maybe in this area, but in some other areas as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But a key, the key there is asking the right questions, right? Um, and before you buy your next car, recognize that high end cars don't just come with more, uh, a higher price tag. They also come with a higher cost to maintain them than economy cars. And they, it's a lot more. Um, so if you're thinking about treating yourself to a 50 or $60,000 luxury car, you know, this year or something even more expensive, get ready to treat your mechanic as well. The rule of thumb is that a vehicle's cost of repairs will be roughly proportional to its original sticker price. For example, if it cost about four times, it would cost about four times as much to keep up an $80,000 luxury car on the road as it would a $20,000 economy car. That's very interesting. I didn't realize it Mm -hmm. was that proportional. Um, You know, expensive vehicles... They have more systems, more features than economy cars, so there's more that can break. And when their parts do break, they're often a lot more expensive to replace and repair. Um, And less expensive aftermarket parts often are not as available for luxury cars. Um, And the complexity and the relatively rare rarity of the high-end cars means the mechanics, they may take longer to diagnose and fix the problems. There are less qualified mechanics to work on those type of cars. You can't just take it in any shop. A lot of times you got to take it back to the original dealer. So, you know, and then it's a lot higher hourly rate. So be careful about buying luxury cars. So what do you do? Um, you know, don't stretch your budget to buy an expensive car unless there's also room in your budget for the four-figure annual repair bills once the warranty expires. Um, RepairPal.com's cost index score can give you an idea as well about the repair bills that you might be in for um, with a particular model. So look that up on repairpal.com. And uh, if you want a luxury car that won't, you know, inflate your maintenance and repair bills any more than necessary, then buy one from one of the big brands, you know, like for instance, um, Lexus, Infinity or Acura, you know, those are the big brands. Um, like Lexus is a division of Toyota, so mm-hmm. you can take it to any Toyota shop and get it repaired. Um, Acura is is the luxury version of a Honda. Infinity is the luxury version of Nissan. Um, you know, Lincoln's the luxury version for Ford. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you buy one of those more mainstream luxury cars that that have more shops and more parts available, and they're just an upper model of a cheaper uh, car, then you're more likely to be able to get it fixed without paying through the nose for it. So even if they even uh, they even use some of the same parts as those the cheaper brands. So you won't be stuck with some really high bills for that. Yeah. One of the cars they kind of call out here is 
with Subaru, they're saying they're known for reliability, but it's very expensive to repair. Hmm. They have a reputation for a reliable, um, you know, brand, but while Subarus are often reliable, they are very expensive to repair when something goes wrong. So in many ways, they're built a bit differently than some of the other makes. So they can be tricky and time consuming for mechanics who uh, don't work on them regularly. So, um, you know, it's something that you got to do your research out there to find the right brand. Um, there's not a perfect vehicle out there, but I think, you yeah. know, figuring out the the expenses after the fact is important and not getting yourself into a pickle. Yeah, I didn't know that about Subarus. Um, <clears throat> they say if it's out of warranty and then take it to the dealership or, or uh, an independent mechanic specializes in those, um, even if it means traveling a bit further. You know, if there's no such shop in your area, then that's a reason to lean toward a different Buy something make different. of car. So uh, that's interesting. You have to do some research if you're looking at a Subaru to make sure you can get it repaired <clears throat> at a reasonable rate. And uh, one type of car is less expensive to maintain than other cars um, are, are electric vehicles, believe it or not. There's been a lot of fear around that, that they mm-hmm. would be expensive. Well, it turns out it hasn't been the case so far, despite car uh, buyers' concerns about the higher cost of replacing worn-out lithium-ion batteries, electric cars and some of the hybrids, such as Toyota Prius, actually have proven to be very affordable to keep on the road. The current generation of batteries generally will last at least 150,000 miles, if not longer. And overall, electric cars break far less often than gasoline or diesel cars because they have uh, many fewer moving parts. And because the parts they do have tend to be less stressed. You know, for an example, an electric vehicle has no gasoline engine, so you never have to replace, you know, a timing belt or the head gasket or even change the oil. A recent study by AAA found that the average annual maintenance and repair costs for electric cars were nearly 20% less than those for the average gas-powered vehicle. Savings can be even greater if you opt for an economy-oriented type electric car like a Chevy Bolt or Volt and, um, you know, rather than the performance-oriented ones such as a Tesla. So what do you do if you're looking for an economical car for short to medium trips, you know, say around 200 miles, um, <clears throat> then strongly consider buying electrics, what they say. Um, not only will you save money on fuel, but you'll also save on repairs and maintenance as well. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Hadn't heard that one. So uh, there you go. And that leads us up here to our prescription of the week. Yeah, this is the uh, car theme um, That's right. We're sticking hour, with cars. Where, we like yeah, it. half hour. So um, the, the prescription of the week is never trade in your vehicle. Um, instead, take the time to clean it up and sell it yourself. You have an opportunity to make a little bit more money. Yeah, that I found that to be true, and I, I know from talking to others that it is true. Yeah, I mean, you'll always get more by selling it to yourself yourself uh, than you will for trading it in for a new vehicle, um, or you will get a lower price on the new vehicle. You know, I mean, dealers, they kind of love to confuse the mm-hmm, deal mm-hmm. with it. a trade-in, you know, and they start doing the math on what you're getting for the trade-in and what you're paying for the new car and the discounts and all that, and it gets complicated, and before you know it, you know, you're, you you lose yourself in the math, and I think they love doing that, and they try to make you believe that you're getting more for your trade-in than you really are, um, or you're getting a better deal on the new car than you really are. Mm-hmm. If you can separate the two, <clears throat> you just clean the car up and sell it. <clears throat> um, studies show that you will get a better price 
at a private party value, putting it on some, some, uh, you know, in, in Craigslist or mm-hmm. putting it out by the road, then you will get by trading it in. So always clean it up and do it yourself. It could be worth thousands yeah, of dollars. Yeah, it, it's definitely easier to trade it in, but you're going to cost yourself in some cases thousands of dollars. So exactly. it's, it's worth the time to, to, you know, clean it up and go put it in Aiken. They, they put them, you know, out at, um, SRS, SRS, SRP credit, credit union. union. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's make amazing, it easy. amazing lot to put it at. Yeah, so. absolutely. There you go. That's your prescription a week. And this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.